Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Three Crosses Podcast. My name is Buzz Hannon, and I'm the pastor for young adults and families here at Three Crosses Church. I'm really excited to jump into this Fruit of the Spirit series and see how the Lord is working out His character in our hearts and in the lives of those around us. Of course, the Fruit of the Spirit starts with love, and when I think about love, there's a lot of ways that you can exhibit that to each other. You know, Jesus taught us that nobody has greater love than that someone lay down his life for his friends. Someone I think that really has exhibited that self-sacrificing love in their life in the context of their marriage is Jim and Lisa Seth. If you know Jim and Lisa, you know that they have such an infectious joy and a welcoming spirit and such wisdom that they've cultivated in following Christ for a couple of decades. I invited them to come in and talk about what it means to have a love centered on Jesus Christ and how to exhibit that in the context of a marriage and in the context of parenting. And so whether or not you're married and whether or not you have kids, I think that what Jim and Lisa have to say here about the value of love in action is going to be incredibly valuable. Thanks for tuning in today, and let's hear what Jim and Lisa have to say. Well, I'm here with Jim and Lisa, Seth, the dream team, the best we could get on this budget. There you go. So um, they promised us donuts. I know. I think yeah, I think you had a donut. I yeah. don't know. We'll have to hop into the time machine. Um, but thank you so much for being here with us. Um, you know, I love having gotten to know you guys over my last three years here at Three Crosses, and the way you exemplify Christ's love in your marriage and as parents certainly isn't perfect, but I think you guys are people that I'd like to learn from. And so thank you for being here to share this with us. But before we get into that idea of love, our first fruit of the Spirit, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you came to be here at Three Crosses and how long you've been around and what you're involved in and that kind of thing, just for those of us that may not know you personally. Yeah. Okay. I think we began attending... 2005? Uh, 15, about 15 years ago. And I know that because we started attending Neighborhood when I started teaching at Redwood. That's right. So it's See, been and you called it Neighborhood, years. so we know that you're yeah. an OG. I'm there a, you oh, go. Yeah. yeah, OG. Well, I don't know that I'm an OG, but... <laughs> Not from Oakland days, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we've been here 15 years, and we came... Um, it, it, it was interesting. We were uh, going to church in Walnut Creek, and Lisa started teaching in San Leandro, and we lived in Dublin, and we just said, this is dumb. And our girls were getting to the point where we wanted to make sure that they had a, a connection in a youth group that was kind of in line with our commute circle closer to home, actual friends you might have at school. Yeah. Um, for me, it was um, the very first show we came to do. We used to do shows out in the courtyard before the big summer shows inside, and I was in one of those shows with my girls. Um, and that really kind of glued us here. We were kind of performers, and um, that you know kind of solidified those like, hey, we're going to church here. This is our this yeah. is our place. Yeah. So you came for relationship connection, especially for the girls. And how yes. many how many girls do you have? Two girls, Paige and Aaron, uh, still our babies, but twenty eight and thirty now. Oh, I know. That's great. Yeah. I'm glad you said that and not me, because yeah, that yeah. indicates how old you are and not necessarily yeah. how old I am. You can't see how much hair I've lost, folks, but trust me, <laughs> it is gone. <laughs> well, the security cameras, they're running. <laughs> yeah. You never know. You never know. And so then how long have you guys been married? Um, a year ago, um, wait, a week ago, 36 years. Yeah. <laughs> a year ago, 35 years. A week ago, 36 years. 36 years and a week. We got it. We got it. Yeah. 36 Easy years, no problems, no challenges, just the best 36 years of your life. Well, yes, they were, but also. Yeah. Well, they were the best 36 years of my life, but they were not. They were certainly, they were not, certainly not all easy. I mean, there were And there were some very, very difficult ones 
that we look back with, with humor and laughter and say, I would never trade that as awful as it was because of what it did for us. Right. Yeah. Now, in this Fruit of the Spirit series, we're unpacking the idea of love as kind of a an outcome of what happens when we follow Jesus Christ into life transformation. Now, is that kind of that principle of building your marriage on faith in Christ? Is that a point that you had started at, or did you come to faith in Christ after having already been married? Oh, um, I I came to know the Lord when I was fifteen. I came to know the Lord when I was seven, um, and we um, I, I was looking for a, a, a spouse that definitely. Uh, had given her life to Jesus, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. right. So we entered the marriage with an understanding that Christ is the center, should be the center um, of our lives. And I think that's what has carried 36 years through because we knew that without him, we probably would not be married today. Yeah. Uh, there are points, I think, in your marriage for everybody who is married I'm more surprised that people that don't know Jesus and don't understand that level of love stay together because um, I think there are things that have happened that have bound us. It's interesting. You know, Lisa's parents were married for years and years and years, and my mom had been married and divorced twice before she met a believing man, her her third uh, marriage, which was actually after we got married, mm-hmm. but they were dating when we were getting married. Um, when I said, till death do us part, having seen my mom's marriage disappear twice. Yeah. That meant to me no matter what. It was the Jesus when Jesus says I love you, it was no matter what. He he will never leave us and forsake us. If that's what you agree to do, then that's the kind of love that you bring to the table. So when we said death to us part, that was a big deal to me because I was not ever in my mind, not under my power, but I wasn't going to let divorce happened to us. Yeah. Now you're, you're heading into the wedding and you have this commitment and you know, you're in it for the long haul, lifelong haul. But what do you know? You're like a, a kid. You know, That's I think right. of myself on my yeah. wedding day. Yes. I'm in this. I know what I'm right. doing. Yes. I'm 23 years old. Such I have a no baby. Yeah. clue at all. And you look back. And so what was something about that commitment level that you're speaking about in marriage till death do you part that you feel like has matured itself as you've walked through these Three and a half decades. Great job, you guys, by the way. Wow. I think I think part of it is approaching whatever daily or, or whatever comes into your life with the idea that I can't leave the situation. I must walk through until the end and get whatever the situation is settled. And that was very unlike my personality type. I grew up in a home where we did not argue. There was no fighting. We just each went to our respective rooms, and then all of a sudden the problem just went away. So, so you're talking about you didn't fight. No. Not that there was nothing to fight about, but just that you wouldn't – you'd kind of keep it to yourself, hold it inside. Well, Is that we, what you're talking about? we would do all that. Uh, we would not allow things to escalate in my home. I never saw my parents fight, um, although I knew, I knew in my heart of hearts that there were things they should be fighting about. Um, and so <laughs> I, I just did. And so coming into a marriage, not knowing how to resolve conflict um, was part of what I was clueless about on my wedding day, was not realizing what it meant to be in conflict and to be able to walk through that in a biblical manner. 
I had never done that. Yeah, so you'd never seen healthy conflict. No, walked out, and then you'd seen well, neither, conflict end in divorce. Neither, neither had I. I don't, so I don't know healthy conflict. Um, at my house, it was one of those. Oh yeah, and you scooted everything off the kitchen table to the floor, and you duked it until it was resolved right then. Until somebody said something that they regretted and had to apologize in tears for, but you fixed it then. Nobody ever got to turn around or walk down the hall or go to their own room. And so the first time that Lisa and I are having what I consider to be a valid argument, <laughs> and she turned and walked away. That's right. I lost it, and so. Um, and those are the things where love becomes actionable. Love is not just a feeling because you sure don't feel like it. Mm-hmm. But I love you enough to say, all right, I got to figure out what's going on here because I know that you don't lo- – I know you love me. I know you don't hate me. I know you love me. But that you're walking away in the situation where I want resolve, which is so necessary for me, uh, this can't be the only answer because I'm – it, it's the till death do us part. You're, I know sure. you're not going to leave me, so why, why is this not working the way I want it to work? Mm-hmm. And you you start to realize early that love is definitely on the terms of the other person. What do you mean by that? Love on the terms of the other person. Um, <laughs> you have you come to the 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 marriage, and when you say I do. None of this weirdness of your family situation goes away or changes, or you are that person that over years kind of developed that way. And you find out that people think differently. People respond differently. And I, I loved her enough to say, I've got to figure out how to do this a way that makes sense to you because I can't just let this always be my way. Um, and I think that, you know, God is such a God of compassion. He loved us even though we didn't love him. And so in times when I don't love her um, emotionally and I have to love her in action because to keep my promise, it's got to what – what's her situation that I have to – I've got to figure out how to do this right. It can't just be my way all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To kind of see that practically walk itself out, is there an example of a, of a time that you felt like you loved the other – actionably, even though you didn't feel it in your emotional sense. Because what, what I'm hearing you guys saying is that like, we get this idea sometimes that love is a feeling and there's romantic and that when that dwindles, you must not actually love mm-hmm. the person anymore. And mm-hmm. you're telling me that even if that feeling dwindles, you still have work to do to get back in the game. Is there a time you put in some work even when your feelings were low? Well, you love actionably and then the feelings are a subset of that. Right. So the feelings come from the action and realizing that person wasn't in a good place and trusted you, and therefore it's romantic. It's I know that sounds weird, out of an argument. We, um, uh, I would come home and I'd say, "Oh, I've had these," and I'm just this verbal guy, and um, not wanting to take Lisa's over the whole nodding, podcast. Lisa's nodding because you're verbal, and she is not a verbal. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I, you'd have frustrations at work or stress at the world, and you'd be like, blah, 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 and I'd be talking about these things or things would be frustrating. And Lisa would be like, hey, why are you getting mad at me? I'm like, I'm not going to – what do you – no, I'm, I'm venting. I just need to say this. I need to vent this thing. And I just want you to listen. This is – I just yeah. need an ear because verbal helps me. And so that would be a way that I would – you could love me in that way, that you would just let me – Loose, and there was, had to be some sort of signal. And then the opposite was true for Lisa, who would say, I'm going to tell you something, and then I, 
typical caveman would be like, I'll tell you what you do. You X, Y, Z, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, you, um, you got a problem? I got this. I'm, I'm Jim, your husband, trust me. And she would say, I'm going to say things to you that you don't necessarily have to fix. And so we developed a code. We had to be very specific. And I'd say, hey, I'm at an event right now. This isn't about you. Yeah. And then she would just turn her ears on and let it go. Sometimes. And then she would say, respectively. Uh, okay, honey. Um, I'm going to say something to you. I do not need you to solve it. I do not need your perspective. I just need you to kind of sit there and listen and nod and, and shake your head if you don't understand so I can clarify more. <laughs> Which was most of the Which time. Which was most of the yeah. time. And, and, and to be able to walk away from that having released frustration and not felt like now I've got somebody telling me what I should do. Because to be honest, you usually already know what you need to do. You just want to have someone either confirm or, or or perhaps change your direction if what you want to do is probably not the best thing that you should do. Yeah. Now, I can I – can, But it was work. I can feel somebody saying, like, to have a code or to have to tell someone how you feel and then treat them in that way, that doesn't seem romantic. Or if you really knew your spouse, like, wouldn't they just know that you needed to vent? Hmm. Or if you really loved me, wouldn't you just know that I needed – a listening ear and not a solver. What would you say to somebody who thinks well, that that takes all of the magic out of it if you have to be after, overt? After 36 years, I think that's been in place for a while. But our first five years of marriage, mm -hmm. especially coming from very different family dynamics, um, we had to um, unlearn some things. We had to learn new things. And we had to learn how to truly live as one being with two different perspectives. Um, learning to love as an action and learning to love in the way the other person recognizes love yeah. is a difficult path to, to – you have to practice it. It's not something that comes easily and it's not something that comes quickly. To, to learn that, that your spouse – when you do something for your spouse, you think you're showing love to them. They may not recognize that as love. You need to really explore, find out what your spouse recognizes as love and act in that manner. And it may be completely different from the way that you experience love. Jim is a very uh, affectionate person. There's physical touch. There's a lot of, of, of personal interaction that way. And I grew up in a home where that did not occur. There was very little physical affection. In fact, I think the first time I saw my mom hug someone without it being hello or goodbye was when Jim walked in the door. Um, he kind of brought that she into knew my who family. Was there. <laughs> she, she He brought that into my family, but that was not something we naturally did. And so for me, who was not an affectionate person, not trained in an affectionate way, to understand that that's how Jim understands love, I have to work at being that way so that he so that he can see that I'm attempting to show him I love him in that way. And he, on the reverse side, has to find ways to be certain because he might think he's showing me love by doing this, and I'm not recognizing that as love because that's not how I see yeah. love to be. Now, what if somebody thinks that, like, oh, loving somebody on their terms, that feels selfish for them to demand to be loved in a certain way? Oh, how would you kind of respond to that? so glad you asked me that. So there's a phrase that people talk with, with offhandedly, and they say, happy wife, happy life. Mm. And, and hate that phrase. She does. Is that because you're not phrase. happy, Lisa? Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I think that's insulting to a wife. So, so can I tell you why? I think it's amazing. See, and this is great. 36 <laughs> years. There are still disagreements. Happy wife, happy life. 
people look at denigrate and they say, well, why would you do it? And is it some level of duty? And you know what? I'll admit, when my wife is happy, I'm super happy. That blesses me. I love that I can make Lisa happy. That gives me joy. That th- th- I feel like if she's happy, I'm doing something right on the love end of making it clear because I was always the verbal guy and she was always the show me guy. You know, that's what she saw. So happy wife, happy life. I'll admit it's almost self-serving, but I I wear it as a badge of honor um, because gentlemen, love your wife like God loved the church. So if if there's, I, I mean, I think that's a directive. Yeah, S.I. Bar. So I'm okay with happy wife, happy life, and I don't mean it to denigrate my darling, but it is Yeah, I want her to be happy because that personally gives me joy, yeah. and I almost feel self-serving so even, saying that. But you're not even speaking about, like, if Lisa's happy, then she'll be nice to you. Oh, yeah, you're there's no measurement happy, stick. You're happy sending it away. Like, oh, yeah. that gives you great joy. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it's so funny. You talk about the first five years versus 36 years. I, I'm just be like, tell me what to do. Uh, it says in sickness and in health in your vows. It doesn't say in mind reading and in <laughs> you know discerning nature. All right. I was like, if you want something, tell me. Every guy would say, you know, are you upset? No, I'm not upset. Okay, I know you totally are. Please just tell me the thing, right? And I will do the thing. And I think we've learned over time, having to tell somebody the thing is not bad, and responding to what you've been told is not bad because it shows love. Yeah. So I'm okay with specific instructions. No more guesswork. But after 36 years, we've gotten pretty good at going like, hmm, I just did something I totally instantly knew that would make you mad. (laughs) I'm going to have to fix that one. Well, let's tag back in our our defense. Lisa, you you don't like happy wife, happy life. I I don't like that that? phrase because the implication is the wife is now the center of the home and we have to make certain she's happy and then everything will be right. And that is not what Scripture tells us to do. Scripture tells us to be submissive to each other. Not everybody makes the wife happy, and therefore everything goes nice. That places the wife in a in a, a ruling role or a placate. Everybody has to placate the wife. Yeah, I'm getting like a, like the White Witch of Narnia. Exactly. Like you got to be nice to me. Be nice to me, or your, your life horrible. is going to be horrendous. Mm-hmm. And that's not what Scripture tells us. That's why that phrase really, really bothers and, 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 and me. And what's funny too is that's that's not my house. So I, I mean, Lisa isn't that person. Um, I, Most I'm, of the time, I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm not at the beck and call, and if you know if that's Mama's not happy, yeah, nobody's at, I, that's not true. I hate that. I hate yeah, that. and so I, I look at it more as a scriptural duty that I relish and um, allows me to 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 have it be an action, a specific thing I'm doing. Occasionally, I make choices that I would not normally make. Because I know that that serves my bride. Yeah. I love that you connected it to Ephesians 5, that we love each other like Christ loved the church. Mm-hmm. And, you know, such a, such a high bar to give oh, everything that's... up to and including death away for mm-hmm. someone else. Like that's mm-hmm. not normally what we're called to do in marriage, but I think it, it, it can approximate that. I would know? call it the turning point one time. Um, I didn't get this. I forget who shared it to me, but it was a Sunday school class, and basically it was, it was a young married class, and they were covering you know, Ephesians 5, and they said, so guys, what are you responsible for? And the answer was, everything. And that was like a game changer, because I went, oh, I, I haven't 
put my game at that. I haven't thought to myself, like God loved the church. That is a crazy high bar. Uh, and unreachable as a man. Yeah. Uh, but with him, it, it, Lord, okay, I'm short on this one. Tell me what to do. Um, yeah. It makes uh, me ask more often what to do. Yeah. And I'm thinking it's not because your wife isn't sufficient on her own, Mm-mm. like that she needs you to come through and like fix things for her, like she's feeble and needs to be waited mm-hmm. on hand and foot. Right. But rather, it's just the way that God ministers to us, how we learn self-sacrificing love, right. I think. Well, when you look at the way that God loves the church, in through that loving process, the church is, is infused with the gifts of the Spirit. So when you love your wife in that manner, your wife is now released to be the woman that God has called her to be because she's not trying to manage or manipulate or or try to figure out what's going on if she knows she is loved with uh, with a love that is alive and and supportive she is then freed to turn around and be equally as supportive to the household and to her husband yeah I think that one of the areas that a marriage needs that mutual support more than any other area is parenting you know like you each of us has kids and that's a that's a game changer isn't it you know how did that influence the way you guys loved each other and how did it teach you about love now now there's like other parties involved now you got to love your wife and you got to love your daughter and you got to love your husband and you got to love your daughter and you can't sleep and you're changing diapers (laughs) oh yeah and you have you know for us two daughters and they're so completely different from you that you're just like, Lord, how did you give us these strangers living in our house? Because they're so weird and we have to figure out how to manage it. You know, I hope they hear this. It's I love you both. <laughs> we, were, we, we were very fortunate to have both of our families close by Yeah. Um, to help. And so we were fortunate when things got a little crazy. Neither one of my daughters slept through the night until they were about 18 months old. I thought you were going to say 18 years. Well, that too. <laughs> I was like, they're just but, getting ready for college at that point. Yeah, about 18 months. The oldest months. is very much the night owl still. Um, and so that did cut, make some very um, very uh, groggy days. Um, and so I was thankful to have some help if I needed to just take a nap. Um, but both of us recognized, A, that these children were a blessing. Um, they were... Look, we looked forward to having children. It was always part of our plan to have kiddos. And being raised by two different families, mm-hmm. we had to come up, come up, you know, come up with a plan that would make certain that our children would see Christ in us and that we would be certain as, as young as possible that they would understand who Jesus was. Now, when you say come up with a plan, did you sit down and actually plan this in advance, or was it a plan that kind of unfolded itself along the way? Or We had a plan, I think, and just in our mindset. And then, of course, as the child grows, that plan needs to expand to deal with situations that seemed to be outside of the what we expected. Yeah, and, and, and there's no, there's no th- this is the plan for my children. You wish it would be that easy. It's this is the plan for Paige. Yeah, and this this is is the plan plan. for Aaron, and it had to be specific. But there were overarching plans, and um, not not to make it um, sound so spiritual, but early um, in our marriage, we discovered um, if you're going to make a decision as a couple, when it says the 
the two should leave their mother and father and cleave hmm. and become one entity. Whenever you and your wife wanted to decide something, there wasn't two votes, and then you would look for arbitration from somebody else. You only had one vote. There was only one agreed upon way to go. And occasionally, I would say, I think X, and Lisa would say, I think Y, and way wiser than me, a lot of times would cause me to go off. Sometimes she would say, I think X, but I trust you, and so we would go Y. Uh, and she was submissive in that way, which was a teachable moment for me that she was willing. Um, so when it was the girls, the girls always had to get the same message. Mm-hmm. There was a, an aggressive decision. If somebody asked Lisa something, that she would say, have you talked to your father? To make sure that we weren't getting worked, mm-hmm. that we didn't say yeah, something. Yeah, because kids are, kids are smart about that kind of thing. They will work it, right? And so it would be, what did your father say? And occasionally, um, uh, well, mom said so-and-so could stay over the night. And I would say, oh, um, tonight? Wow. Wouldn't love it. Well, would have said no. But if Lisa already said yes, then the answer from either one of us was the answer for both. Mm-hmm. Now, there was always a way to confirm. what If you had already asked the other parent and they said no, why are you talking to me? You could ask either parent and their answer was the answer. So that was always solid. Um, and that was a way that I think we loved them, that there was never a question mark. And they never saw us like, oh, I'm... I'll ask mom on this and dad on mm-hmm. that. There was no way to win, uh, you know, against, quote, unquote, your Seth parents, if that makes sense. Except they never now, well, when they were in college, they would never call me about finances. They would always call dad about finances. Yeah. Uh, if they had a, a finance question. Uh, well, oh, no, no. yes. Well, I, I love Lisa. She's number challenged also. I am number it's challenged. It's why she's an English teacher that and is, not a math teacher. That is very everyone. true. That is very true. Um, the other <laughs> – the other thing about it, too, in terms of, of raising our kiddos was it was very important for us that they be involved in church. Um, it was very important to us that they had an education that was Christ-centered. And so I had my teaching credential and made the choice to, rather than teach in public school, to teach in a Christian school um, so that our girls would have the opportunity to attend a Christian elementary and, and uh, high school. And that was very important to us, that that would, that what they were hearing during their day, five days a week, matched what they were hearing at home, matched what they were hearing on Sunday, so that there was not a question of, of what was true. Now, when they get to you know their particular age, when they are able to make your, their own decisions, they're going to make their own decisions, but they have been taught the truth. I think um, a lot of people hear this conversation, well, you know, I, I kind of want the kids to decide for themselves. And I go... I'm sorry that that's completely horrifying ideal to me, yeah. that you would have the difficult life-changing ex- ex- knowledge of what it means to love Jesus Christ or not and think that a 7- or 8-year-old could just figure it out for themselves. Mm-hmm. I think you need to make sure that there's a ton of evidence presented on, on, on both sides and saying here's what it means to be a Christian, which is not easy, and you know here's – Here's where the, you know, they're going to differ, but I think you have to provide that way. And we had a specific conversation. We had bought a house, um, and then we had Paige. So we bought a house first, and then Paige was born like um, two years later. And we had a discussion to say, five years hence, when the girls go in, because we'd committed then that they would be in a Christian school, because we wanted to make sure there was as much influence, not only at our house, but during the school day, um, that we'd agreed, we said, if we got to sell the house to afford it, we're going to do that. So um, that was five years before 
It was like, oh, we, we like this house. We live here for two years. It's super cool. And there's a tax write-off. But we would sell this thing if that was between us and the girls going to school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you had skin in the game, financially speaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I love, the, I love the way you're describing that your girls are at church and they're at school and they're kind of surrounded by this community of people that love and care mm-hmm. about them. Like it's mm-hmm. not just up to you two guys either. I think right. that's pretty cool that there's a way to – bring in kind of trusted voices to everybody's life. Mm-hmm. And it's not mm-hmm. just up to the parent, you know. Right. When you lie down, when you walk together, when you're at work and you're not with them, there's a way to make sure that they're still getting the gospel. Well, I, I even think about my own students that I am with, you know, until 3 o'clock every day. And I have a different grouping of students every hour or so. But I stand before Jesus responsible for those students that I have presented in whatever I'm teaching, however I present that day, that I have in some way made a connection to scripture or a life lesson or something that they can walk away with, whether they have a biblical worldview or not, at their age, they're putting these pieces together. So even though they're not my kids, they're someone's kids. Yeah. Because you've still been teaching at that school for, what, 10 years now since Aaron graduated? Oh, um. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. So it wasn't just a tuition write-off. Right. It's, uh, right. it's a ministry that yeah. you really believed in and right. put your right. whole career into. Right. Right. How did uh, parenting change the way that your dynamic between the two of you, um, did mm. it affect it at all? Or, I mean, that's kind of like a dumb question. Yes, it affected it. What was one of the ways maybe that surprised you or one of the bigger challenges? I didn't expect to be so... Can I say afraid? I, I, I did. We didn't like super worry, I guess, until we had kids. Then there was that level of when it was just Lisa and I. I'd be like, "Hey, man, I'm gonna change jobs." Yeah, and we're just yeah. gonna. I, I mean, I'm entrepreneur gobs, kind of like I trust me, and you'll be with me, and we'll pull this off. But then when you <laughs> had these little people, and you're like, "I cannot screw this up," so there it kind of morphed a different. You would make decisions, and you just realize there was way more people de- depending on you. And Lisa kind of, you know, was smart enough as an adult. I felt like I could pull it off. But this little person is totally at the whims of us. <laughs> and so yeah. we got to make sure this works out. You know, this person can't hold their own, I guess. I know <laughs> you would think Jim is an adult. Yes, that's how it works. But th- it, I didn't wake up to it until I'm looking at her in the hospital going, this changes everything. Yeah. I think growing up. In terms of, of the marriage, there was a, a whole new round of teaching that had to take place, or, or ex- experience, I guess, um, between us in raising A, children, and B, two girls. So my husband is is looking at my girls um, in a different way than I am looking at my girls. And so when the, the little tears began to come, I knew that they were manipulative, and he would he would you know, oh, poor baby. And I'm like, mm, 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 mm. no, you go finish your crying and then come back and we'll discuss what's going on here. And so I think for part of it, there was an, a, an experiential for Jim to be walking through what does it mean to raise girls? What I truly appreciated about my husband at that time is he was not afraid to do girly things girly things. And so it's like he played the games, the pretty, pretty princess games. And I was pretty good at he it. He was really good at it. In fact, he and that was the other thing. <laughs> we never let them win. You did not – you played like you were supposed to play a game. We, however, will never play Monopoly with Jim again. 
my girls, none of my girls would play Monopoly either. He's ruthless. He is ruthless. Um, he'd go get his oh nails God. done. Yeah. He'd go get his nails done with the girls. He would. Uh, yeah. My favorite he memories did, I trusted being him between t- the girls for a Manny Petty at Davy Nails at uh, Stone Ridge Mall. It was, that was <laughs> off Did the you hook. win the gift card by winning at Monopoly? Oh, it took the girls out? Well, and I wasn't, I so wasn't stashing 500s under the board like my brother used to, a big punk. Um, I, you know what's funny is, um, <laughs> and I, I'm feeling bad because I can't remember if we talked about this already or we before we started the tape, but... Lisa's mom and dad were together for a long time. My mom had been married and divorced twice Mm -hmm. and then married a third time. And so I married Lisa as this, you know, got it together female that could take care of business. And that's why I married her. She was so smart, so self-sufficient, so cool. I wanted to partner with her. And I didn't think of myself as her protector. And what's interesting Mm -hmm. is she saw, I had to learn as a guy who had been just with his mom, as just mom and us boys, totally self-sufficient and powerful that there was a level of protection that my wife wanted and I should go out in the dark and take the garbage cans to the curb and my wife is completely capable of doing it but it's in the dark and it's outside and I shouldn't send her out there I should go fill up her car with gas at night if she's forgotten and she needs her car filled up that morning to get to work those kind of things I I gotta admit to you I kind of didn't know it and with the girls Um, that's the pressure as a guy of two girls. I know I'm setting the bar for the man that we're praying will marry our daughters. And so one of the ways that the girls got to see that was me demonstrably loving her or her doing things that she knows specifically. The girls know her well enough to say, this isn't your thing. You're totally doing this for dad. And so (laughs) they got to see that you, you, you made allowances and that's the man that I want you to meet. Yeah, is that will love you like that. So demonstrating in your marriage the type of marriage you want your girls to mm-hmm. have someday. And is it silly to say something as actionable as like I'm going to go fill up your car? Um, I, do you know I what I'm saying? I don't think that's silly. Like um, you know, Tara and I had a few of those same kind of blind spots. In hindsight, they feel like blindingly obvious. Mm-hmm. Yes, but we didn't we didn't know. So like. Uh, in my house, my parents were still together, but my dad, he, he works a lot. We were a single income family. And so he'd go to bed pretty early. Right. And then we'd hang out with mom or whatever. And I was a night owl. And so right. the mom would go around the house and turn off the lights, lock the doors. We'd all go to bed, you know, and then Tara grew up in like, like Oakland. Right. And it mm. was very like dangerous. I did not live in a dangerous area. There was nobody around. It was fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you go to my parents' wilderness. house right now. I guarantee you the car's on the driveway with the key in the ignition. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. It's been that way for years. And so then, like, it was a big deal for her dad to go around and, like, lock the house mm-hmm. up and, like, kind of tighten it down for right. nighttime. And so then when we got married, like, I didn't care about locking the door. Right. And, like, that's right, well, yeah. that's my mom's job. So I kind of thought, well, that's kind of Tara's job. But for her, she perceived that as, like, I didn't care about her family's mm-hmm. safety and, like, didn't she, like, step up. And so, like, it doesn't really matter who locks the door. Like, anybody can spin the handle. But right. that demonstration of, like, you're looking out for me in mm-hmm. the way my dad did was kind of a, a blind spot for us. And it yeah. wasn't, like, a big fight or anything. But that's kind of what I'm thinking about when you're saying, like, you'd fill up the gas for Lisa or you'd do this or that for her. And there's ways that you care for each other. And do they matter? It's just demonstrating to somebody that you do care about them and that mm-hmm. you have a role in their life. I, I think each marriage can draw those lines a little differently. Like yeah, maybe in right. your marriage, the wife gets the gas. It's fine. Anybody can do it. Right. But, you know, are you in it together and do you care about the other person? 
is it quid pro quo? Like, well, I did these tasks, and so right. now you've got to do right. these right. tasks. Right. You know, that's not what we're talking about. Right. It's that mutual care, mutual love, looking out for one another. Right. I did appreciate being made aware. Do, do you know, like you say, blind spot. It yeah. did not occur to me until it was like, hey, you should consider, or I feel this way, and I was like, oh, cool, four one one. Thank you for telling me that. From today, it will never be. I can fix. I, I can do that thing mm-hmm. easily. And I'm in, you know. Um, I, I think um, occasionally, um, I want to say I communicated because I'm, you know, the ways that we love each other. I was that very physical touch, and I was that very verbal guy. And so, Lisa could say something, just one sentence to me. Hey, I really appreciate it. I love it when you do X, and you just fix me for a week, right? For Lisa, it was like that. Without talking about it, you just did the dishes. Um, yeah. And that's the measurement stick. And uh, learning that was okay. I like being, once you tell me, I can be taught. I, yeah. I still fail, but. <laughs> yeah. So even if your love language is that somebody takes initiative towards you, mm-hmm. telling them, hey, man, take some initiative. Yeah. Like that, that would be okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man. Um, it, you keep hearing us talking about it being actionable. That's the, I, I, I think love is a you're committed no matter what, and that means there's some to-dos, and that's okay. I know that God loves me because of what he has done mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. not because he said it, because he yeah. gave his son. You know, I, you, I see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my old mentors back in Oklahoma used to say that in a marriage, there's two aspects almost. One is the aspect of partnership, mm-hmm. shared tasks, shared responsibility, shared finances, et cetera. And the other aspect is shared relationship, like the way you two bring each other. And I feel like it's so easy to get that actionable side of your mm-hmm. marriage into the partnership things, picking up the kids, paying the bills. Mm-hmm. It's so overwhelming. And we forget to be actionable on the relationship side. So mm-hmm. I love hearing you guys say, you know, care for me in this way, care for our relationship in this way, demonstrate your love in this way, not demonstrate your shared task ability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so if somebody's out there and listening to this and struggling in their marriage or kind of trying to figure out where did the the love go you know that feeling of love that we talk about mm-hmm. how would you maybe suggest to them they try to rekindle that or find that maybe even for the first time if somebody feels like they've never really had what we're talking about here um i think one of the first steps is to set aside what you are expecting or to set aside what you think sh- what it should look like and simply begin serving the other person, finding ways to support them and encourage them, um, foster what they're doing, um, and and in that way, take your eyes off of perhaps yourself and what you may be wanting and placing them on simply serving as Christ served. Hmm. So the way then to rekindle love in your marriage is to send it away to, to the away. other person. Um Turn off every romantic movie you've ever seen yeah. that you think. It, it, it is so not like that. Um, it, we, we crack up over um, Match.com <laughs> um, because they're like, you know, or, or what's the, um, not Match.com. The, oh, eHarmony. eHarmony, yes. It's all about harmony and matching and being <laughs> the same. I do, I'm so glad I did not marry myself. Oh. I would be over me in a heartbeat. <laughs> um, we are completely, completely opposite people. Mm-hmm. And so that opposite thing, which initially becomes the 
oh, this is infuriating. Mm-hmm. I, when I started looking at that thing saying, that's the crazy special thing that God gave me in her yeah. that I get to keep. That that's a, that's a secret gift to me, that thing that is almost drives me to nutcake, to the point to where now <laughs> they're endearing to me. I love her for that. Uh, by the way, I don't aggressively expect my wife to change and, yeah. and, 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 and move forward or stop doing that. Uh, that's who she is. That's who he gave me. Um, so I'm going to love it or it will infuriate me all the, yeah. my whole life. So I yeah. got to get it, lose it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Sometimes I think we are attracted in the dating times to those kind of things. Like, I don't know, like well, a wild, a adventurous spirit. And yeah. You're like, oh, this is great. And then you get into the marriage and you're like, actually, that adventurous spirit that made you change jobs 18 times yeah, is yeah. like, that's kind of a <laughs> it bummer. you insane. Yeah, that's close. You know? that's, a, that's about right. <laughs> I remember when Jim and I first met, we met in a traveling drama troupe um, that used to rehearse at my house. And as Jim ran in one door and out the other, my mother simply said, what in the, the, the world <laughs> is that? And Your future, lo, baby. And lo and behold, <laughs> yes, he became my future. But her first response was, what is that? Because that level of energy, never in my house. Oh, my goodness, no. So he's brought quite a bit of life and joy to a very sedate house. And my wife taught me how to show up on time and be oh, an yeah. actual adult. So yeah. it's all good. <laughs> I, I, I do feel bad because I like I hear, uh, here's where we've screwed up. We've, we've been married 36 years. Um, we don't have a really good, everybody is like, we have date night every Friday. I'm super jealous of people somehow are able to pull off the date night thing with regularity. Uh, and I kind of feel like I'd like to still get better at that. So I've only taken 36 years. We, maybe <laughs> we could pull it off. But we, we haven't had a concerted, on Friday, we'll be good to each other. <laughs> and the rest of the days we'll not. We'll just be real people. Oh, man, I just got to make it to Friday. <laughs> I don't think that's what date night is. But, but no, I understand I'm, what you're I'm, getting I'm at. I'm jealous you know? of it. And, and yeah. I, I want that. But what's funny is uh, uh, we're taking it the way it gets dealt to us. Um, in our particular situation, I travel for business. I don't always have a free night that would be the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been frustrating too, because it 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 makes their the less predictability part. Mm-hmm. And so you have to hold on to the things that you can predict. Yeah, and maybe that helps too. Uh, it, it, listen, hold on to what you can predict, and then the curveball stuff. It's going to come, so don't be so surprised, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I feel like if you give away enough of your predictable nights, then when the curveball comes or predictable time, then it's, you know, such an upset. You know, it's, I feel like what you've done well is with. like yeah. you may not know when you're home, but when you're home, you're home, and you're in the family, and you're invested. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're doing your thing for three nights and then you get a spare business trip, jump up, and then you've been gone functionally for a week, like yes. that's not well quite as quite as good. When our girls were in elementary school, he was traveling two weeks out of a month, which had we not been so vested in our parenting, that would have been a disaster because when dad would come back home, he had to be real careful not to be the fun dad because I'd been the mean mom for two weeks. Oh, yeah. So that, we had to, it was like a tag team agreement, you know, like in a wrestling match. She's like, okay, you're home. You're home. You got to put the squeeze on, on homework and you got to yeah. put these guys to bed because you can't just be, because I hadn't seen them for two weeks. I'm like, guys, hey. Let's go get ice cream. <laughs> yeah, Honey, I'm, it's 10 o'clock at yeah, night. Yeah. Oh, man, they'll sleep in the morning, you know, in class. <laughs> at in school. Lisa's class yeah. that she's <laughs> teaching them. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. And I know we're kind of coming to the end of our time, but I'd also love to hear um, any advice that you might have for somebody that looks at marriage and says, one day I'd like to be married. I'm not yet married. I'm waiting. How would you encourage somebody in that state of life? Um, you can choose to love people now, right now, that you're not married to and practice it because you're going to have to do it every second that you're married. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Um, look for opportunities to be that person that someone would want to love. Um, I think, you know, somebody's, I'm standing there waiting for somebody to love me, but I'm never, I don't volunteer to serve or I don't go work in preschool with the threes. Mm-hmm. I, some of these things you don't have the answer on yet and you don't know how to do it and you're not a pro and you're a younger person. Put yourself in situations where you get to see because um, the love of God will present itself. He's amazing that way. You're going to get joy. You're going to see things that yeah. you giving out love gives you. And that I think that makes you very attractive to the person in the future who says, wow, I'd like to love a man or love a woman like that. Yeah. I like the way you're talking about the unmarried life as a full and a rich one, not mm-hmm. one that's like in a holding pattern waiting for one day, like real life to begin. Hey, like marriage with marriage you now. Doesn't, doesn't fix you or make you or, mm-hmm. or complete or uh, it's just a different role. I mean, there are some yeah. amazing people who love Jesus who are not married that um, in some ways I'm envious of the freedom to serve in some ways that marriage changes your world. I'd encourage them to shut down their um, electronic devices and their Pinterest and their Facebook and go spend time with real people. If you want to know or if you want to see what married life is going to be like because that's something that you envision for yourself, you need to go hang out with married people, people who've been married for 10 years, five years, 36 years, to get the real perspective because it it's not as glossy as that photo wants you to think it is. But it's so much more rich then that photo is going to tell you that it is. We yeah. just want friends is pretty much is what we just said. <laughs> I'm not quite certain how you can interpret that from what I just said. Lisa said, hang years. out with someone. And Jim was like, hang out with me. You know, Come on, man. Hang out That's with the us. extrovert energy. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. All his friends moved out except one. So he's got to, you know, he's got to re, repopulate it. So true. All right. Man, Jim, Lisa, thank you so much for being here with us today. I pray that this conversation has been an encouragement to our listeners as we kind of stumble after following Christ, wanting to see his transformation in our lives as we walk it out in marriage. Thank you for your commitment to our church, for your friendship to me and my family, and uh, thank you for your time. God bless you guys. Thanks. Thank you. Man, I really hope you got a glimpse of what Jim and Lisa bring to the table. Next time you see them around church, thank them for sharing um, these ideas of love in action, actionable love. Didn't you catch that? I love how Jim was making it practical to say, like, I show Lisa my love by my actions, not with mere words, but with what I do. I'm so grateful that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has showed us his love by what he did in giving his life for us. This week, as you go about your way, I would encourage you to keep your eyes up and open and looking for ways that God is challenging you to show that same kind of actionable, self-sacrificing love to those around you. Whether it's your spouse or your kids or your colleagues at work, people on the street, even people on BART, how can you give your love away through actions, actionable love? We really hope you're enjoying these podcasts. If you have some feedback, whether it's positive or negative or topics you want to hear about or a guest you want to suggest or 
maybe even a prayer request or some questions about one of the topics that we've discussed, uh, reach out to us by emailing podcast at threecrosses.org, podcast at the number three, crosses.org, and we'd love to connect with you. Thank you so much for listening. We believe in life transformation through following Jesus Christ, and I pray that this podcast has helped you to follow him just a little bit better today. God bless you. We're praying for you, and we'll see you soon.